Welcome to a very special episode here at the JMS Podcast. Uh, I am am your host, Jorge M. Sanchez, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, This is a very, very special, because it's the first of many, and uh, it is the live recordings that were done at the last month's Sub-Zero Festival in downtown San Jose. These are two different artists I interviewed on two different days. It was on June 1st and on June 2nd, and it had a lot of fun. I think uh, it, it was a great opportunity to be invited over to be part of the Sub-Zero Festival. So a special shout out to uh, to Cherry and her, and her team behind Sub-Zero Festival. It was a lot of fun, a lot of great things, and I think it's a great exhibition of like so, so many creative San Jose and beyond the Bay Area talent and arts and, and I, I can't recommend people enough to just go check it out Sub-Zero Festival whenever you can um, I had uh, had a couple issues for as far as the recordings uh, it is the first time uh, I've ever did a live podcast recording so of course uh, there's uh, some learning pains or is that, is that how the word says it point is is that um, the recording could be a little tough at first to really get into uh, kept keep in mind that this is a this is in the outside environment uh, I did my best with the equipment I have available uh, to get the best possible rego- uh, recording of the conversations as possible uh, sometimes we're a little too close to the stage so it might be a little bit of a distraction have the music in the background but overall I think you could if you you know just a little patience and a little concentration, I think you could uh, really tune in to what the artists are talking about. And I had a real fascinating talk with both of them, which I forgot to mention their name already. Uh, the first interview I've done is with William Shaft. Uh, he was having an exhibit at um, Anno Domini at Sub-Zero Festival. And the second artist who also was having an exhibit at Anno Domini at the Sub-Zero Festival was Jai Tanju. And uh, they both are interesting people with a lot of great things to say that being said i hope you enjoy this special episode and once again thank you to the sub-zero uh, organization and I, I it was just a great great opportunity and I, I feel so privileged to be part of it this year so here goes so here is my talk with both william Schaff and jai tanju Do anything, or is this good right here? Or? Uh, just put as close to your, to your mouth as you can. Actually, projecting through the speakers, too. Yeah. All right, fair yeah the closer to your mouth, the better. Right, right. I, I, don't, I know it's a weird way of putting it. No, no, it's very good. Very good. There you go. But, uh, dude, I'm digging your style. You got, you got yourself your, your Jameson going. Please, up yourself. I should have. I oh, I'll take a swig. There you go. Makes any interview better. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Dinner dog. Dinner dog. Come on up. So, so talk to me how you decided to name your, your dog here Dinner. I just thought it'd be funny. Yeah, please. I just thought it'd be funny. A good name for a dog. And it, it works out because, uh, because when I feed her, I say, you know, here's dinner. Yeah. She loves food. So to her, her name is all about good things. Ah. There's you are what you eat, and then there's your name after what you eat. 
essentially you exactly. something of that. Exactly. Thank you. How, how do you usually react when someone goes, I saw your art, not my thing? Like, what's your, how do you react to that? I say fair enough. Do you, do, you, do you secretly like, 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 yes, like in some way? Because me, I, I do stand up. When someone comes up to me going like, dude, I did not enjoy your comedy, a part of me is like, yeah, you shouldn't. That's an odd way to approach it. <laughs> it's just me. Um, maybe. I don't know if it's just you, but I mean, I want people to like my stuff. It's not even that I want people to like my stuff. I hope uh, people will connect with it. Yeah, and I don't want people to actively dislike my stuff, but if they don't connect with it, yeah. I can appreciate that. Because you know what? There's a lot of really amazing art out there. I don't like connect with it. Which one is he? Number two? Number one. There we go. Okay. This is quieter than this. There we go. All right. I'm a quieter fella. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of art out there, both you know, uh, highly recognized art that I just don't connect with, that I don't like. It doesn't disqualify the quality of the work. Right. I just don't like it. And what I appreciate about when someone comes up to me and says, like you said, you know what, didn't do anything for me. If that's all they want to say, that's great. And I leave it at that. I thank them and they go on to their day. If they want to tell me why it doesn't, this is what I love. Because any art I do, I'm doing with the hope that some form of a conversation is going to happen. And if that conversation starts because they're connected to the work and they love it, mm -hmm. or if it starts because uh, maybe they just simply don't get it, or they actually think it sucks, right? That's still conversation. It's like it's like me and you. So essentially, you, you're looking to make a conversation about your art, whether you like it or not. It's it's about you know yes. creating thoughts yep. and, and, and talking about it. And that's the beauty of a gallery. Unlike most public spaces, a gallery is a space that has been created before you enter. You know you're entering it to feel something, whether that be something that you love and connect with, or whether that be something you dislike and maybe even are offended with. Yeah. The point is, you are that space is created for you to feel something. And what's beautiful about it, unlike say just meeting someone on the street who maybe has done something you like or done something that's offended you, it is a calm, measured, safe space for you to have conversation about it. Fascinating. Right. So imagine if uh, right now I, I run into someone with a shirt that greatly offends me. Someone wants to wear a shirt that has a big swastika that says Nazis are great. Okay. Well, that's going to get a reaction from it, especially if I see it on the street, and especially if they actually start talking with me. But on the street, when you're out in public, I think people don't check themselves as much. They don't look to have as much civil discourse as they would if, say, they were in a classroom. Right. Or put in some other environment where they are expected to have a civil discourse. Where they got nowhere to run, essentially. Um, I mean, there's always the exit, I guess, but yeah. I mean, the idea is that there are expectations of a civil discourse right. at certain spaces. To me, the gallery is that space. It is a space that one is expected to feel something, and if they wish to talk to someone about it, they are expected to speak about it civilly, even if they don't like it. And that's, that's huge, because how, how do people move past anything they don't like? if they aren't able to talk about it calmly or civilly. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess they can move past it by just simply clocking someone on the head, but unless you're able to win that fight, it might not go so well. By that logic, do you feel like now that we use social media and internet to kind of put our opinions out there, do you feel that's detrimental to the art world, or, or do you feel like it... Because at that point, it's like people are more inclined to not really appreciate 
going physically to a place and talk about things. They much rather talk about it online. Um, I I don't think social media is detrimental to art at all. I think it is great. I think social media is a great tool for artists. I know myself. I would not. Um, I probably wouldn't have the opportunities I have today were it not for social media. That said, like any great tool, there's a lot, there's negative to come with it. And especially if that tool encourages uh, quick responses, like social media does. I mean, someone tweets something on Twitter, that whole form encourages a quick response. It does not encourage a slow, thoughtful response. So, we do have some issues that come up with that. But still, social media in itself, I mean, Mike, I live in America, and there are people all around the world that know my work. That's a big thanks to social media. I yeah. don't know if I would have had that opportunity if social media didn't exist. Right. So, I'm a big fan of it. I do have my reservations with it, and I do have my reservations with how people use it, but I am a big fan of social media. Which I imagine you are as well, as a yeah, podcast. Definitely. I mean, podcasts yeah. wouldn't exist without social media. Right. Think of it. This isn't a radio show. There is no, uh, no land-based structure who yeah. said, hey, we love what you do. Let's give you an hour to do what you want. Right. This is you saying, I want to try something, and nothing's going to stop me. Right. Social no media to talk to. Social media allows for that, which is incredible. It's amazing. Now, I will say one second. You dropped something there, sir. Right over there. It's flying down the street. I don't know if you need it or not, but right by the scooter there. There you go. Yep. Um, on that train of thought, what do you feel currently is the role of an artist in society? Specifically our, our you know, society. Specifically our society? Mm -hmm. How are you defining our society? United States, America, okay. Western, I suppose. Um, I don't know. And I don't know if there is one particular role. Because certainly when you think of artists, there are many different types of artists. Whether it be, say, an actor in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Whether it be uh, the pianist studying at Juilliard. Whether it be the visual artist working through the gallery system. There are many different types of artists. Each with different expectations for how far their art's going to get out there and for what they're looking for. I would imagine a lot of actors, for instance, are probably looking for different things than, say, the pianist. Uh, doesn't make one better or worse, but I would assume that the common denominator through all of them is to have some form of connection with those they do not know. So take Robert Downey Jr. doing Iron Man. Right. He knows he's not doing Hamlet there. And again, that doesn't degrade what he's doing. He's still looking to have a connection. And there are a lot of people that have strong feelings about Iron Man, for instance. Right. So Robert Downey Jr. bringing it to life, bringing it from the pages of a comic book and bringing it to the screen, that's huge for them. And he has enabled uh, that connection through his acting. I was just the other night at a uh, private performance of a, a woman doing left-handed piano concertos. She had hurt her right hand, and she's a pianist. Mm -hmm. So, of course, all she can do is use her left hand. 
And so she was doing a performance of left-handed piano concertos, which in themselves are extremely difficult and amazing in their own right. That said, she was performing to 10 people. She was not looking to have the same impact, I'm assuming, as, say, someone like Robert Downey Jr. Right. Does it lessen the impact she had on those 10 people? No. Crazy, it's probably more intimate. Well, yeah, an intimacy offers something that is incredible. Again, I wouldn't qualify it as better or worse than mass appeal. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it be uh, Charlie Chaplin, Jackie Gleason, uh, whomever you want to pick that's, that's had mass appeal. Mass appeal is huge, and it, it creates a connection for you and I. So let's say you and I, we don't know each other, but somehow through conversation we find out we're both Jackie Gleason fans. Well, all of a sudden, you and I like each other a little better. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, let's say you say something that makes me raise an eyebrow, or vice versa. Yeah. We're going to give each other a little patience because you know what? We both appreciate Jackie Gleason. So, you know, the mass appeal of uh, the art from, say, someone like a pop culture figure, that's super important too. It's, it's equally as important, I feel, as the woman who's doing the performance or as the person who's doing the performance for 10 people. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, think of what you're doing. I've never heard of you before uh, Sherry from Anno Domini introduced me to you. Mm -hmm. So, before coming on to this, I listened to a handful of your podcasts. Oh, I apologize for that. <laughs> but thank you for doing so. I, you know, it, it, to prepare for this, I did see your art. So, in some ways, I, I, I came out and was like, all right, you're a very interesting guy, basing all of the art I see. Uh, what I really love what you do with your art is how... I'm not sure if it's specifically just for this exhibit, but how minimalistic do you, you use color? It's mostly black and white and red for the most part. And I'm like, well, what is about those three colors that kind of attracts you? So from what you're saying, I do get the impression, yes, that is actually mostly from this particular body of work. Uh, I work in a bunch of different mediums. This particular exhibit, I chose specifically to create a new body of work in, cut, in the cut paper style although there are some other drawings and things included in there. Right. So for this particular body of work, I did keep it monochromatic. That said, I don't have a lot of color in my work because honestly, I'm just not very good with color. There's no grand artistic reason for it. I'm just not very good with it in the same way I'm not very good with math. So I choose that which I know I can uh, work with. You, should, you can do more yeah. touching with pet her. Because if you just touch her, that's a little weird. But if you pet her, that's yeah. what people do with dogs. So yeah, there you go. Her name's Dinner. Oh, right, Dinner Dog? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, that's the first time I had a, a dog on my podcast. Ever. That's she's, the first. And this is how quiet she'll be the whole time. I don't know if you heard me tell that other person, but uh, she's barked three times. So this dog only barked three, three times. times in the ten years. Is she a time. rescue? She is a rescue, yes. How old was she when you, when you rescued her? They found her, this was out of Providence, Rhode Island, where uh, I live. Yeah. Um, they don't know how old she was. They found her coming out of South Providence, which is an area known for dog fighting. Oh. The problem is, she is such a submissive animal. She's not even a good bait dog. You can't throw her in the ring to try to rile up another dog because right. she just sits there and the other dog does too. So the guest from the animal shelter, from Animal Control, where I got her was, she had escaped, she was wandering, no one claimed her, so she's about to get put down. But probably no one claimed her because the people that lost her were like, she's no good anyways. I had a friend who worked at Animal Control at the time. My dog had died about a year before that. I'd been fostering other dogs. They said, Will, this dog's totally your speed. And that's how I got her. And that is my speed. Because, you know, she's around me 24-7. Because right. I work at home and, and she's with me all the time. 
I don't want a dog that's ripping things up or, or barking all the time. That said, I wouldn't mind if she barked a little more. My last dog, a shepherd, was at least good at watching out for the house. I had a friend uh, come to feed her one day when I was away. I thought I'd give him a key. He calls me and says, I don't have a key. How do I get in? Yeah. I said, well, just, just kick the back door and I'll fix it when I get home. And he says, well, how about this? I, I see a window I can climb in. I'm like, fine. I don't care. Climb in the window. He said the whole time he was struggling to climb in this window, she was watching him wagging her tail. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And she didn't know him. It's not like this is someone she had met before. She right. didn't know him. Right. I'm thinking you couldn't at least give a bark to make it sound like don't come in the house? No. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Not the best uh, uh, a defense system. Horrible guard dog. This one. System. Horrible guard dog. But, but then again, it's good. It's like not too needy. Right? Not too... Um, no, she's not. And it is actually really good because, I'll tell you this, my last dog, which I love dearly, yeah. uh, I had to watch out for her more. So, like, let's say we're doing this right now with my German Shepherd. Uh -huh. We're chatting, we're having a fine time. If another dog comes walking down the way, I'm going to see that in the corner of my eye, and now I'm not giving you my full attention because I'm watching her. Right. And I know I need to be on top of her because my last dog was very dog-dominant. So I need to make sure she don't run off the stage and, you know, in the middle of your podcast, start mauling another dog. This one here, what I have to worry about is a chipmunk coming off the you know, tree over there and beating her up. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Man, we used to live with a cat. The cat we lived with used to come up to her while she was eating food and beat the hell out of her just oh, to so do she, it. She was essentially bullied then. Oh, she's been bullied her. Oh, God. Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about focus, uh, I didn't curiosity because a, a lot of artists I know are, are you know, for the most part, introverts, because you know, they're focused on their work. Uh, but you know, I, I've always wondered, you know, what goes, what, what goes behind preparing for like a public exhibit show? Like, I mean, that, that's got to be nerve-wracking in some sense, right? It, it, it truly is. It truly is. One thing I love about Cherry and Brian working with them is when I do an exhibit for them. So, for instance, the exhibit that's up right now, I spent a year preparing a new body of work for it, and in this particular exhibit was a new body of work that I'm not particularly comfortable with. I'm not a paper-cut artist. Yeah. So I spent this year stressing and worrying, creating this body of work. And what's so great about them is once I hand it off, it's theirs. If they need me to do something with it, they call me, I come do it. But that is such a glorious thing. But that's also not necessarily the norm. Sherry and Brian's gallery is exceptional from the other galleries I've dealt with in how much it understands both the needs of the artist and the gallery and the consumer, which are three very different needs. Right. But three needs that are that help each other. I mean, if they don't sell my work, they don't pay their rent. If they don't sell my work, I don't pay my rent. If they don't sell my work, the person who could possibly be the collective for it doesn't get to exist with it and have their life enriched by this piece. Their understanding of that is incredible because they figure out a way to balance that. So how I prepared for this exhibit was simply making the work to the best of my ability. Um, and not just simply making it, because since these are cut paper, right. it is literally just cutting things out of a sheet of paper, I now need to figure out how to present it. Uh, I personally can't afford to frame my work most of the time. So how do I present these large pieces of cut paper in a way that someone sees it and can picture it in their house? And sad to say, a lot of people have trouble picturing art in their house if it's not framed. So then I uh, went ahead and started uh, trying my hand at 
woodworking skills, which I will admit they're not very good at. My hands are not great at woodworking skills, but I mounted these pieces on wood. I made wood backing for them just so they could be hung. Uh -huh. And then it was just a matter of coordinating timing and schedule with them, so that the timing of it's important too. If we, we picked a date, everything's going to be done before then. I mean, I'm still trying to pay bills that whole year. I'm making the art, right. and I'm making a series of work that is not selling yet. You know what I mean? I'm making work, this isn't a commission. If I spend two weeks on a piece that I'm doing here, no one's paying me for that. So it's juggling that question of how do I make this work for the show and still pay my bills, which also means doing commissions in the meantime. I am uh, fortunate enough to have a fair amount of patron, uh, patron, patrons, excuse yeah. me, who uh, support my work. So even if I'm not selling it, I still have that income coming in. So for instance, I mean, I couldn't have done the show without them. So here's a year's worth of work that no one paid me to make. And yet the patrons who are funding me allowed me to do it. They allowed me to pay my bills on the month that I didn't have any income coming in from a commission. That's huge. So it's just juggling. Everything, you must know this. Yeah. Everything's juggling. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, here you are doing a podcast, something yeah. you're, you're a comedian, uh -huh. which... Allegedly. Still working on it. Which, isn't that a comedian answer right there? <laughs> so, you are allegedly a comedian, right. but no one's paying you to do that, especially until you... Yeah. I mean, and, and I've seen this with other artistic endeavors, no one really gets paid until they get to a certain level. Mm. And that's where, you know, the phrase paying your dues comes in, which means you have to figure out how to cover your own nut. You got your mind. So tonight, you're here, it's a Saturday night, it's a beautiful night in San Jose doing what you're doing. No one's paying you to do this. So the next question is, how are you paying this month's electric bill? Day job. <laughs> okay, and, and I've done that too. I mean, before, I mean, these days, I just make my living off my art. But for probably a good uh, eight to ten years before that, I worked multiple jobs to support my art career. Well, not a work, would you usually be in? Anything that allowed me to draw. My, my first steady job I had, like when I say steady, I mean, you know, five days a week for years on time. I worked at Kinko's. I worked the grave shift at Kinko's. And what I loved about that was I had access to free copies. Good pay, access to free copies. It was on my schedule, all that jazz. The job after that, I was a pizza cook. I've been a pizza delivery guy. I've been a janitor. I've been a parking lot attendant for years. Parking lot was great because I was in a little booth where I collected a ticket once in a while. That meant when I wasn't collecting tickets, I could work. Yeah. So it's a matter of finding something that does afford me my rent, but also affords me my time, which I'm assuming, well, I shouldn't assume. I'm guessing you do the same. Now, I don't know how much you're on the road with your comedy. I don't know how much you try to get outside of your area with your comedy. Yeah. But if you want to travel, that means you need to find a job that gives you time off and you still have that job when you get back. Very true. Which is tricky. The last actual, like, uh, I don't know what you call it. I'm using air quotes here. But the last legit job I had, I was the head of security for a nightclub. And at that time, I was also in a 20-piece uh, Balkan brass band, the Tour de Love. And so the question was, how do I find a job that covers my rent but gives me time off when I need it? This security job did that. So I could say to my boss, look, we're going on the road for two weeks. Can I get that time off? It worked and that job was still for me. That's a tough thing to find. But that's what you do if you're interested in what you are really interested in. Well, if anything, having these day jobs kind of helps you, you know, think about your work. And, and for me, it helps me 
to be, you know, concentrating on my job and while I'm doing the job, I was like, oh, I gotta go do this. I should do that. I should write this when I get back home. You know? Do you, do you mind your job at all for, and I don't mean mind, uh, like, M-I-N-E, do you mind your job is where you're like, oh, this is some gold material I'm gonna use in my next act? Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Sometimes it really happens. But, like, for example, I think I was my most creative when I was working as a dishwasher at Gordon Beer down the street, okay. which is closing pretty soon, unfortunately. I, I, I used to be a dishwasher there late at night. I was just there back there just sweating. But being in that environment meant that the time I spent home working on my stuff was more precious. So I had to make the most out of it. Totally. And from that, you know, I think kind of initiated a lot of things with this podcast was starting, my web series, comedy, filmmaking, all these things were happening. Uh, well, at least the, the, the framework of, of them were happening while I was in that, you know, tough environment working. You know, right now where I'm at, you know, it's pretty comfortable. Not the best, but it's pretty comfortable. But it does, you're right, it does give me time to work on the podcast or work on Friday with things. Well, do you find now that you're not doing the dishwashing job, you are not writing material of the same caliber that you used to? I mean, do you feel not that really. dishwashing? Not really. And do you, yeah. do you feel there's a correlation between that? Yes, I do. How come I, you're not washing dishes again? I should be, huh? <laughs> That's what I, I don't know if you should be. Well, it's more the, the, the more you are in a tough spot, the more you're, you're, you get that fire under your ass to, to do something with your Well, define tough spot, because I'm guessing you are in a tough spot in a way now, in the sense that to do what you're doing tonight, what yeah. you love, uh-huh. means you still have to do something you don't really give two hoots about. So is that not a tough spot? I mean, it's not a tough no, spot like someone's really. How much training do you do? Because I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm 45. Yeah. And as I've gotten away from uh, working jobs that are not art, I do a lot of training. Meaning, uh, if I need uh, some plumbing done on my house, I find a plumber I know, and I say, is there anything I can do for you? And it's 50-50. I've actually designed logos for plumbing companies and all this jazz. And that way, I get the work I've done. Because I couldn't afford them otherwise. Right. I mean, I can't afford my own work. But that's the best way to do things, I find, is trading. So Fascinating. Do you ever find, yeah. I should do that, yeah. You really should. Um, yeah, yeah. For instance, let's think of something simple. Uh, you need uh, some, some work done in your car. Okay. Working on an auto dealership, maybe it's a little easier for you. But you, get, you need some work done in your car. Uh-huh. You find a mechanic and you say, hey, you got a party you need entertained? Because let me tell you, there's no one more entertaining than me. We'll trade services. My services are this much an hour. How much is yours? What can we get? Have people so far been game for it? Like, well, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. So the ratio of people actually agreeing to barter or to trade you know, services is likely, more likely. Yeah, and part of it's salesmanship at that point. I mean, part of it is they know me. Like, I don't just like randomly walk into a plumbing. Oh, uh, place and say, hey, I've never met you. Familiar with yeah, yeah, I've never, I've never gotten something from a stranger based on trade. Talking about logos, I know that I've read up that you've done some uh, album art, right? Yes, but album art is very different than a logo. Well, well, I guess it's a segue because you know because I done photography for album art, nice. and I'd like to know how you approach it because I'm always nervous because you always want to make sure the band likes it. But the same thing, you want to make sure you like it too. Yeah. You know, so how, how, how do you approach it? So, when I first got out of college, I was actually working for uh, different national magazines doing illustrations and stuff. And my concern then was, does the magazine like it? And they have an art director and an art editor and all this stuff. 
after a few years of doing that, I got so dissuaded by that process that I actually gave up worrying about if my client liked it. And so when I do album art, for instance, now, let's say someone approaches me to do an album cover. One, they've done that because they've seen some other album art I've done. So they already know kind of what my work is like, and they already like it. And I tell them, ultimately, I mean, it's kind of a long-winded uh, sheet of terms I send them, but ultimately what I'm telling them is, trust that you like what I'll do for you. Because I'm no longer wanting to be someone's hands. And that's what I was when I was uh, working for these different magazines. I was someone's hands. You do all these sketches, these re-sketches, these ideas. Basically, my thinking was, well, you know exactly what you see in your head. Why don't you do it? Why are you bothering me? Right. I know what I want to do. So I don't actually worry. I mean, I shouldn't say I don't worry about if the client will like it, but that's not my first concern. I know if my first concern is making the piece as good as I feel it can be made, there's a good chance they'll like it. And that's what that's what attracted them to me to begin with. Because of the bands I've worked with, because of uh, the things I've created for other people that they've seen, that was all based on what I was thinking to begin with. Not my favorite example is this. I did some artwork for this fellow named Jason Molina. Um, he recorded under the name Songs Ohio and Magnolia Electric Company. And when I did the first album I did for him, he just said to me the following. And this actually is what helped shape my method of dealing with clients. He approached me and said, hey, you know, Will, when I was recording this album, all I was thinking about was owls, pyramids, and magnolias. Go from there. Now, at that time, I was going through a horrible time in my life, and that's all that was on my mind. So as I was creating the art, all the horrible things in my life at that time were coming out on that page. But I knew he wanted owls, pyramids, and magnolias, so I phrased it all through those three things. And as a result, he got an album cover he loved, he got an album cover that People still know my work for it to this day, and they contact me because of that. We got an album cover that I keep wildly enough seeing tattooed on people all over the world. Wow! So he basically asked me to be myself, but keep in mind a little of what he was doing. Right. Essentially, a framework. Yeah. And so that's what I do when I when I make art. I don't worry so much about what the client wants because I know the fact that they've contacted me, they want my work. And so I'm just going to give him my work. If, and I tell people right off the bat in my terms, if you have a picture in your head you can see me doing, I'm not your guy. The best example is this, Johnny Cash. We all know Johnny Cash, right? Johnny Cash, of course. In one of his uh, later albums, he covered a song by the artist Will Oldham, uh, also known as Bonnie Prince Billy, also known as Palace Brothers, etc., etc. This is an artist I'm a huge fan of. And the song he chose to cover when I heard he was covering it is actually my favorite song of Will Oldham's. Which one? It's called I See a Darkness. And I was so excited when I heard he was covering this because the second I heard that, I pictured in my head, I could hear Johnny's voice doing it perfectly. Oh my God, it was brilliant. Year down the road, the album released, hated it. The way Johnny Cash did it sucked. Couldn't, couldn't say how much I hated it. It took me like a good two or three years to realize why it was such an incredible version. And why it's an incredible version is because that's how Johnny Cash heard it. What I was wanting was Johnny Cash to do what I heard. That ain't Johnny Cash. 
Johnny Cash wasn't Johnny Cash because he built his career making songs on how I heard them. He built it making it how he heard them. And it took me a while to realize that. And, and since realizing that, I've actually really come to love his version because it does truly sound like a Johnny Cash version of that song. It's not what I heard. And I don't sit up at night thinking, oh, if only you'd done it that way. When I think about it or when I listen to it, I smile thinking, God dang, Johnny made this beautiful song. Because obviously he heard that same song I loved. Yeah. And whether someone offered it to him or whatever, yeah, sorry. he was moved by it. So he made that great version. Wow. Now, I read up on you, and you apparently it's interesting. You have a couple, you have an interesting home studio. It's almost an incubator. Uh, it is the Ford Foreclosure. Yes, sir. And you have another one in Oakland, the Outpost. The Outpost, yes. And the Outpost is a temporary one. I'm out here right now in California for a very short period of time doing this, uh, I guess, a long-term residency. But actually, I'm moving back to the Ford uh, at the end of this month. So, uh, yeah. So tell me about the inception of the Ford Foreclosure and how is it you know, bringing in so many creative people and collaborating? in a space like that. It's not a whole lot of collaboration. I'm actually really, I don't play well with others. Yeah. And it's all my fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's I'm with you. My, I'm with you. All my fault. Yeah. What the fort does offer is a space for others to work in. So to that extent, I mean, that's not a collaboration, but to that extent, it is a space for them to do what they want. Right. I am lucky enough to have that space and I can offer it to them. So at best, I can just kind of push myself to the corner and murmur under my breath while they do what they want but they still make great stuff. The Ford came about, um, uh, it's 20 years now I've had actually, the Ford. My, my dad died back in 2000, and he left me 25 grand in his life insurance. I knew there was never a time in my life I would probably ever see $25,000 again at one point. And so I thought, you know what? I should probably buy a house, put a down payment on one. And thankfully this was right before the whole, uh, the bubble? Before the whole rise, uh, and then the bubble. Yeah. So I got my space for a great price. And it's a beautiful space. It's a three-story building on the water in Rhode Island. The first floor used to be a bar. So it's basically a 20-foot, a 22-foot by 40-foot open space with 12-foot ceilings. I bought it. And I've been, you know, the banks, and this is why it's called Ford Foreclosure. I've actually been foreclosed on four times. Um, because as a self-employed artist, guess what? I don't make a lot of steady money. Yeah. Um, I got the nickname Ford Foreclosure the last time I was, no, the second to last time I was foreclosed on. I actually did a uh, GoFundMe, not a GoFundMe, an Indiegogo campaign. Uh, I'd asked friends before for help getting out of foreclosure and all this jazz. I kind of wanted to stop that once and for all. Uh -huh. So I did this fundraising campaign to see if people could want help me get out of foreclosure and maybe earn enough money to buy the building. But this isn't just a building for me. Uh, different artists, both visual and musical, have lived there over the years and still live there. Uh, right now, Morgan Eve Swain from the band uh, Huntress and the holder of Hands. And before that, she was in this band Brownbird. Her husband and her lived there. Her husband sadly uh, died uh, five years back now. Um, but the whole goal was to have a space where I could charge them cheap rent something where we can all find a way to exist and still do what we needed to do. And that's what the building's done. Well, I've been out here, it's been great. I've had friends back in Warren, Rhode Island, where the house is, um, who are still running that building, who are still doing events out of that space while I've been gone. 
so it's not been a dormant space while I've been gone. There's still life happening in there. There's still art happening in there. And the outpost, when I moved to Oakland, you know, my wife and I are out here. I can't afford a studio out here. So basically the outpost is what's supposed to be a dining room, I think, in our apartment. It's a one-bedroom apartment that costs as much as our whole house back in Oakland. I have this one dining room that she let me take over. And I say she let me because, God bless her, this woman's a minimalist. I am not a minimalist. So I swore to her when I moved in this space, I am not going to clutter the rest of the place up with your space, but I am going to destroy this one space. And I turned it into the nest I needed to create because since my whole day is spent making art in that space, I needed to be, like you said, an incubator. That's a great analogy, actually. You know, you put the chick, you put the egg in the incubator and the heat from that grows it. Same thing with wherever my studio is. The heat from that studio grows what I'm doing. And that's what the outpost has been while I've been here. It's been a wonderful, if not at sometimes distractingly small space to do what I'm doing. Interesting. Well, William, I think we're going to closing out pretty soon. I want you to get, get back to your show. Uh, but uh, reminder for the listeners tuning in, uh, we're here at Sub-Zero in San Jose. How, how has your experience been so far here in San Jose and with the art scene? I've actually really loved it. Again, um, I remain impressed by what Brian and Sherry have been able to create, not just with their gallery, but with the whole Sub-Zero festival. I've been impressed by San Jose's embracing of the arts, not just in a thumbs up, isn't this great, but let's fund it, let's buy some art and help the artists keep making more. Uh, I'm, blown I'm meeting people like you. You are literally someone who's sitting in a wooden booth. Yeah. It, you're doing something most people wouldn't do. Yeah, well, you, you can't find the crazy ones like me, you know? Well, okay, but are you really crazy or are you just yeah. in love with art? I mean, you're a comedian. I, I, yeah? I, I love talking with interesting, creative people. I, I think that's but what. Isn't everyone an interesting, creative person in some way, even if they don't know it? Yes. Matter of fact, let's, I agree. let's try something. Can may I try something? Yeah, go for it. Right. Go for it. Can I get you for a minute? Can I ask you some questions? There you go. I'll get on the mic. All right. All right. So we've just randomly grabbed someone off the streets of San Jose. What up? How you doing? So what's All your right. name? Faco. Say again. Faco with an F. Okay. Uh, may I ask? Do you feel you're a creative person? I like to think so. Yeah. Okay. How so? Um, I play the guitar. Nice. What got you into playing the guitar? Um. I used to be a drummer. I got tired of for waiting for people, so I learned the guitar. So you went from percussion to rhythm. Right, are you a rhythm guitarist or lead guitarist? Just rhythm. Okay, all right. Do you feel you have avenues to express your creativity with? Yeah. See, this is what we're talking about. So there you go. Average person we've never met off the street, but this is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, this is. Actually, it's really good. I, I like that you said that because one thing I get very frustrated with when people meet me is they treat the fact that I do art for a living as something different than what they do, which is bullshit. Right. It's just me trying to figure out how best to be happy, and I'm happiest when I can make my art. Some, my mom, she's happiest when she can be an accountant. 
me tell you, she's a damn fine accountant. Annoyingly fine. To the point where she talks to me and I just don't want to listen anymore. I have no clue what the hell she's talking about. Alright, but with him, the hour is up. Thank you so much. People, check out his work. It's kind of happening right now at Anno Domini. What people expect from uh, your exhibit right now? I have no clue what people can expect from my exhibit right now. Hopefully, uh, they can expect to be moved in some way or not. Maybe they think it sucks. Maybe they think it's great. It's just an experience. In the same way, going to a restaurant, eating a great burger is an experience. Whatever. I don't know. I just compare Byron to a burger. <laughs> well, give it up for William Shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you, you so much. Good stuff. on the photography part and, oh, yeah. and do the rest on the computer. So I, I was doing some research on you. It looks like you started off first in skateboarding culture. And so you started, first started photography? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, at what point did you decide to kind of start? In some ways, were you documenting skateboarding culture or you were just using it as a, a platform to do some creative photography? No, I grew up skateboarding. So I was a skateboarder or skateboarding for a big part of my life before I did photography. I skateboarded since I was in the fourth grade. I didn't, which, I don't know how old I was then, or like 14 or 12 or something, I don't remember, but I started skateboarding when I was young, and I didn't start taking photographs until I was 25. Oh wow, okay. So, so I was- definitely came first. Yeah, and then it was more, I, I had lived in Hawaii and was into surfing and stuff, and I moved back to California and I needed to, to live at my mom's house, I needed to go to school and have a job. 
So I went to school and photography was one of the things that I took what at school. school. Did you go to? Uh, I just went to West Valley. West Valley. Yeah. So I took a, a photography class and I kind of got the bug for it there. And then I was already skating and doing different things with my friends all the time. And I was just kind of lucky that the, my friends were becoming sponsored skateboarders and they were really good. They were becoming sponsored and becoming pro. So I got to see a lot of uh, good photographers come from different places to photograph them. So I would learn some tricks from them and like watch them work. And so you had some mentorship going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, for me, one of the challenges with photography is capturing movement. I'm so, of course, the skateboard has a lot of movement going on. Is there a certain trick to like capturing movement on a, a camera? Uh, yeah, a, a fast shutter speed. Either a fast shutter speed or using flashes, and that's usually mostly what skateboard photographers will, will do is use flat like strobes or flashes, and you get a camera with a high sync speed, like 250th of a second. Then you can capture, use the flash during the day, and, and like freeze freeze the movement. Wow. Uh, there's this thing you do called the print exchange. Yes. Can you talk about how you, the inception of the print exchange and what were some things that, that you, you learned from it? Uh, the, the inception of the print exchange was uh, was basically after I, I watched a movie called How to Draw a Bunny, which is about uh, an artist from New York called named Ray Johnson. And he, he was a collage artist and a painter in New York in the early 60s, and he became obsessed with sending mail uh -huh. and doing a thing called the New York School of Correspondence, which was a, uh, an exchange of art uh, with different people. Uh -huh. And after I watched that, I just got, uh, I got kind of inspired by that and wanted to do something like that with photography. So I just reached out to some friends and some other photographers I knew and started sending them mail. And I didn't really receive anything back for a while, so I, I put print exchange program. And once I put that on there, it kind of like opened the door where they go, okay, I'm gonna send something back. And then that just like, it just went from there. Did you feel that the, the, it caught fire immediately, or did it take some time? It took some time. I mean, it. it, it, it uh, after the first year, I probably had about 25 people that I was exchanging with. And at that point, I, I made a, a little zine with a bunch of other addresses with all the people that I was exchanging with, yeah. and with some of their photos and then their addresses, and I sent it to all the people that I was exchanging with in order to give them those those addresses and kind of like open a door for that and then shortly after that i made a blog which was early right film for vida yeah dot blogspot right. and with that i would what i would do is just post the mail i got every day um i'd post the front and the back so that the people that were on the blog could see other people that i was they were sending me mail and they could be like oh i want to send mail to sam too so they would just send him mail and then it just kind of took off from there. See, it's a very fascinating project because it's like you're, you're receiving something very tangible. And I'm, I'm in some ways, it feels like you're receiving a, a photograph in a personal way. Yeah. It's like dedicated just for you. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah, for sure. What are some things you learned from this experience when, when, you're, when you're receiving so much photography from all over the world? Uh, that I should have been more organized. <laughs> Organization, yes. Very yeah, fun. I never have been. 
you know, with my, my photography, I have it, or my uh, the negatives and all that stuff, and definitely with the print exchange. But mostly what, what I've learned, like, it's been going on for about 12 years now. So the thing that I've gotten from it mostly is friendship. Friendship? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, why do you feel friendship was the theme that kind of came to you? Uh, it just became, because it, it didn't, it never was really about the photography. It's, it's more about the people that I was corresponding with and how I became friends with those people. Either they're in Salt Lake City or they're in San Francisco or they're in Chicago or England or wherever. So I have all these network of people that I've just become friends with through the print exchange. And I, I still meet people that I exchange mail with. All of a sudden somebody will come up and be like, oh, my name is Bobby. And I'm from Washington. We exchange mail. And it's like, oh, cool. And I always feel like I know them. And I, throughout the print exchange, it's just it's grown this really cool network of, of friends that are really tight, tightly knit. Now, how much postage? Uh, has it got to a point where people on there, I'm thinking you would go to the post office, but you know, you just drop it in, right? Uh, sometimes I have to go, we have to buy stamps and stuff like that, but most of the time, yeah, you just put it in the box and it just goes away. Now, you said that the blog came after, right? The printer came first and then the blog. Uh huh. How was it approaching? Because when I started it, there wasn't blogs. Oh. And also, when internet it, was not a thing at the time. It was just coming up. Okay. Yeah, and also digital cameras were just coming in too, and that's kind of why I was having a struggle with digital cameras because I had used film cameras for so long, and digital cameras were coming in and people were using them, and it was uh, it was just kind of a weird weird thing for me because I couldn't afford a good digital camera. And it was just, it just was weird. I, I, I really wanted to hold on to film, using film. So I was kind of making a stand and I ended up losing in the end. And I ended up buying digital cameras and I use them now and, uh, you know, for work and different things like that. Now, for your personal photography work, you feel like there's a certain subject or a theme that kind of re returns to you to capture? Well, no, not a theme of, of my life, but uh, definitely like uh, more more like people and places, like muses. You when you're a photographer, you 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 have people in your life that you photograph a lot, whether it's your dog or your wife or or a friend. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of the common theme is that you have these people in places that you photograph over and over again. And you notice that right, right away, kind of like, oh, this person is interesting, and they photograph well, and over a certain amount of years, you're kind of like, wow, I've got photographed Jason a lot, and then you're kind of like, oh, cool, you know? Now, when I photograph subjects, I get nervous trying to tell them how to model. Sometimes I actually prefer them not to model at all. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you prefer a more naturalistic photography? Approach to your subjects, yeah. Or do you, are you much more to the whole fashion model? I don't do well in that that area at all. I mean, sometimes I'll shoot portraits of people, or I'll have I have ideas about a photo a photograph I want to take, and then I'll find somebody that that can work well in that situation. But it's more like a, a lighting situation, or or like 
a wall or some somewhere that I find that I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then if I, I need to do a portrait for something for a magazine or a different thing, I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna bring them to that place. And uh, but no, the fashion thing is I don't do well with that. I relate so much. Yeah, when that's I, why I don't. I, I, I tried don't, it. Now I'm like, I don't know what I really want. I'm just usually like funny shoot, but I think it's interesting. And now I'm getting, giving full control over a subject. I'm like, I don't know what I want at this point. Yeah, and that's probably why I don't do it for work. Yeah. It's because I was never really good at that. Like, I can go into a situation and shoot things that are happening and even interact with those people and kind of let them do their thing. Right. And if they're interesting enough, the photographs will turn out really well. But if I have to guide them, it, it doesn't work that well. Now, you work for, for me. You work for magazines. Yeah. Right? How is that collaboration like? Well, the, the interaction of, of like for skateboard photography, yeah. that is totally different, and that's really an inter interaction with me and the skater, and like we we talk about what's going to happen or what. It's more them finding what they want to do and me trying to take the best picture of that, and then at that point, there we're collaborating on that, so we both have a common goal of getting that photograph. Like, oh, I, you might say, I want to, you know, take me to a spot. We, oh, I want to skate on this handrail. And then, and then I'll be like, okay, and he's like, tell me what he's going to do, and we'll set it all up, and then I'll, I'll try to get the best photo that I can. And sometimes it's vice versa, where I'm finding the spot, and I go, oh, I found this beautiful ledge by this red wall, and I want to shoot a photograph there. Can you do something? And then we'll interact with that. So it's, 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 it's more like an easy collaboration. Especially when you have really good skaters in there. Yeah, well, I get nervous with, with, with those kind of relationships. It's like, want to make sure what you shoot is what they like, but at the same time, want to make sure you like it too. Yeah. You know? so yeah. It's, it's kind of that, that that mix of like, like, where, where, where do we both meet? And and you you after you shoot photographs with somebody for a long time, like skateboarding photographs, that you you have a common trust. But you know, they know that you're going to be able to get the photo, and that you know that they're going to be able to do their part. So you're both doing the parts. Huh. It only gets a little crazier when the thing that they're trying is maybe like they could get hurt. That that uh, gets into a weird situation. Right? Yeah, where they're like, I want to try this. And you're like, whoa, you could really get hurt doing that. But I also have faith that they could do it. But it's never really kind of a like, oh, I'm just going to jump on this handrail and make it. It's like sometimes they are trying it you know, 40 times and falling down and you're kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know, like, they, like, I want to keep trying it. I'm like, hey, like, that's, that's, yeah, I can only imagine. Now, what's some advice you would offer, like, some photographers who are looking to get their work, you know, more recognized and shown, like, in media, like, like magazines and so forth? I don't know. Uh, it, it, the whole magazine game has really changed from when, when I was part of it. Uh, it, was, it. Well, when I was doing it, skateboarding was much smaller, and the amount of photographers were, were way less. So there wasn't, um, it, there was more magazines, and there was less photographers, That's so right. it was a little bit easier. And I, mean, and I actually just used to send in photographs to magazines. Like, oh, here you go. Like, just send them in and hope they, they want them. And either I'd get them back or I wouldn't, or they would use them. You just open up the magazine a few months later and like, oh, there's your photo. Like, oh, cool. And then you get relationships with these magazines or the people that work there. And you would work, work with them. They might want an interview or a portrait of somebody. 
But now it's different. There's not as many magazines, so there's not there's not as many out as many outlets to to send them to. Really, the the best place now for people to put things are on the internet or like on their Instagram. You know, what I mean, that's really where people get kind of exposure right. now. Instagram is a place for people photography these days. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, an, an interesting thing as well that makes you unique. Not only that you're a photographer, but that you own a gallery dedicated to photography, art, design, the same things. Yeah. Gallery. Can you talk about the inception of this gallery and kind of how has it evolved since, you know, when you first opened to what it is now? Well, it actually it ties in with the print exchange in a lot of ways because uh, uh, when I was... I was being a photographer, skateboard photographer, and I started the print exchange, and I started to exchange photography with a lot of different people, meaning I was meeting a lot of photographers. So then I started to kind of like get the bug to, I would go to art shows and I would check out galleries all the time, and I kind of got the bug of cur curating shows. Mm. So I curated a few shows, like uh, uh, Empire 7, which is down right. here in Japan oh, town. Yeah. It's yeah. so like I, I, I curated a, a, a photography shows there called Emotion Stew and it was a, with a lot of the people that were in the print exchange or that I knew through skateboarding. So I started to do that and go, oh, okay, I kind of have a knack for bringing people together. And I also have a knack for hanging art. So I did that and then I got offered a show in New York City and that's where the first print exchange show was. So when I went there, I went did the show at this little gallery called Fuse Gallery. So I did that show and I kind of, I, that was another kind of thing where I liked what was happening and I liked how it felt to go in, and set up a show and like interact with the artists and stuff like that. So I just kept kind of curating shows and curating shows and then finally I just was wanted to do my own gallery. So my wife really like backed me up and uh, kept on me to find a spot and we just really got lucky that we found our first spot on third street yeah the price was right and we, we started doing that and just skateboarding in general is such a, 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 a there's so many artists and people involved with that it's such a creative uh, community that I already knew all these different people like artists that were drawing skateboard graphics and you knew the skaters that did art I knew, knew all these people so I just kind of like drew from there yeah. to fill the walls of my gallery. It's not really like it uh, was never a, a photography gallery. It's actually very, it's probably maybe 10% of the shows that I show there are actual photography shows, but. You know, you made a great point about, about skateboard culture, where it, it's in some ways it's an incubator of so many creative people, not just photographers, but I know a lot of people with video filmmakers, mm -hmm. a lot of artists, music yeah what what is it about skateboard culture kind of like you know uh you know just incubates and attract these kind of people well i think skateboarding just to grow up on a skateboard uh, is just a lot of trial and error and then at some point you succeed so once you kind of get that frame of mind that you can kind of do anything you want as long as you try prepared to fail a lot yeah, but once so, you got that one shot, you got it. Yeah, or you're drawing and drawing, and you, you, it might be crap for years, and all of a sudden you kind of figure figure out how it works. So I think that's the kind of mindset is like, like that you're gonna fall down, you're gonna fall down, you're gonna get up, you're gonna fall down, you're gonna get up, and then then at some point you're gonna make it. It's gonna feel great, and you're gonna be like, oh, okay, 
I know how to do that. Like I'm going to try something else, and then it toughens you up in a way. Yeah, and, and just it's just a very creative thing in yeah. general, skateboarding, and very free. You're free to move around and you know explore the world, and that's a really cool thing about it too. Is like a lot of skateboarders are out there in the world. You know what I mean? They're not home on the computer or in you know they're just out there on the streets interacting with people and the other skaters and things like Most that. Most security guards, but I'm sure it's all yes, part of it, so, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, how, in your perspective, how would you describe the role of a photographer these days in our society? Hmm. I know that was a heavy one. Right? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how to answer that, you know? Hmm. Do you feel like maybe there isn't a role for photography? Well, I think photography has a role right, right now, and like uh, I mean, for documenting the world, and everyone is kind of has that access now, which is really cool. Um, but I, do, I do you feel like it has changed since social media? It has become a big uh, tool for a lot of photographers. Social media itself. Yeah, like the role. A role of photography. Yeah. I think it has, but I think it's it's kind of been one of these things where where it's almost like the record or a film or something where in, in the beginning it kind of seems good to, to like uh, saturate it too much and get washed away right. where it's too much and then people start to come around and go, oh, okay, I want to take more time and do, do something more substantial instead of just kind of like an instant thing. Like, oh, I'm putting this up, or I just shot this photo. It's more like they have people are coming back to having more ideas and making books and doing different things and having projects and like really like focusing on the photography part of it. Hmm, fascinating. You know, when I when I go to photography, I, I what's your approach, kind of when dealing with like just just street photography? Do you have an approach to it? Street photography? Yeah. Do you... No. Because I get, I get I mean, I, I'm, I'm always just somebody who, 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 like, I see things and I'll shoot photographs of it. And uh, I'm not too into street photography just because I don't have a lot. I mean, I used to be more into it, sure. and especially when I was in doing skateboard photography and traveling, traveling the the world pretty much like on skateboard trips. I was always like uh, having a camera and, and shooting photographs, but it was it, it was the location, the places where I was at, and the people I was seeing all the time that were more interesting. Uh, so now that I, I you know I have a full time job and I have the gallery, I don't have as much time to to be out there. So I, I don't really do it very often. And now I more work like on projects and things and have ideas. And the time that I do have to shoot photographs, I'm working on a certain thing. Or I'm going to get a certain photograph, or I'm working on something that's going to be in a show, or something like that. In your travels, is there like a, a place that kind of is a big highlight for you? Um, I mean, there's lots of places. That, like I went to Rio, and that was really interesting, and ah, I thought that Brazil. Was, yeah, it was a really interesting place. And I mean, uh, I traveled to Mexico with my wife all the time, and that that's a very interesting place. And um, but I also like, you know. Her, my wife's family lives in Los Banos, and I, I find that interesting too. You know, it's the uh, San Jose I, I find interesting as well. But I've been here for so long, and so it's it's 
not that exciting for me anymore. Right. But in some ways, you have to make an effort to rediscover parts of the city. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I try to feel that way. Like, oh yeah, I know everything about this part. Now then I find something about another part of town where something's going on. I was like, oh my god, I had no idea this was happening. Yeah. So in some ways, like people who are you know in the scene here kind of have to like make an effort to rediscover certain aspects and they, they, they missed before. Oh, for sure. But you were born and raised here in San Jose. I was born in New York, but well, I've, I've lived in San Jose since I was in the fourth grade. So that was like. Uh, was that like a big culture shock at the time, or were you too young? No. To feel an impact. I, I mean, if I didn't, yeah, it was a little different. But uh, one thing that was right there when I got, I, I started skating when I was very young, and my uncle was a skateboarder, so he had given me and my brother skateboards. And that was one thing when, when I just remember when we got to my uncle's house here on the south side of San Jose with our moving truck, that was where our destination was. When, right when we got there, there was kids skateboarding across the street. And I just remember taking my skateboard and going over there and befriending these kids. And those kids ended up being my friends all through high school. It was just kind of like, I have a skateboard. Like, oh, we're skating. Let's, let's, let's skate. And it was like, okay, cool. And then just ended up being friends with them. And I'm still friends with them. So This, this idea of connection keeps popping up here. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the connection you made is through skateboarding, through photography, through having a gallery. I'm sure you got you know, a lot of connection happening. Uh, what's a, how do you recommend an approach when it comes to curating, you know, a show or a gallery? Uh, you know, I just really curate through friendships and the connections that I have through skateboarding. And uh, sometimes people reach out to us and we'll, we'll consider them or we'll look into what they're doing. Right. Um, or I'll befriend somebody on Instagram or something, find someone that, that uh, I start watching them and then ask them to do a show but really 99% of the things that we do at the gallery are through people that I know through skateboarding or through that culture. network yeah how would you best describe great photography in your opinion I know it's too broad of a term right? uh, yeah I don't know it's just like I just see stuff that I, I either I like it or they I don't and most photography I like yeah. Like I can I can be walking down the street and there'd be a, a photograph on the ground and you pick it up and it's gonna say something to you. You know what right. I mean? Whether it's just just you know doesn't really matter what it is because you're gonna look at it and go oh, okay, and put it back down or put it in your pocket yeah. or whatever. You know? Do you do you find photography in the streets often? Like just laying around? On the yeah. yeah. Really? Sometimes. I, sh I should look down more often. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I found a whole box of photographs the other day in front of this church over here, and I brought them home and looked through them. And what, what were the contents of the photographs? It was of a funeral. Of a funeral. A funeral. A funeral. Wow. Yeah, maybe like Vietnamese. Vietnamese, Vietnamese funeral. funeral. That's what makes sense. It was outside a church. They're like, oh, there's too many of these photos. We can't take them with us. I don't know what it was. No, it was like a really neatly box of maybe like. 400 photographs or something, but it was. I thought it was going to be really a treasure trove of all these different photographs, this maybe somebody's life or something, but it was all of this one funeral, uh -huh. which was pretty crazy. That's going to be a tough kick for a photographer. Weddings is one thing. Well, it, this was more like uh, snapshots of, of that somebody took of their grandfather's oh, funeral or something. Now, we have an exhibit currently going on at Arnold Domain. 
for come for vida. Now, do, 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 that's Spanish. Do you come from a Spanish background? No, no. My my wife is uh, Spanish. She's a Mexican lady, and I just think I just thought it sounded interesting. Mm -hmm. And it just basically means film for life. For vida means for life. So it, it just sounded like an interesting way to say that. You know, it, it's an interesting notion because I think an important part for a creative person is definitely having a very supportive partner. You know, I think it's very essential. Oh, for sure. And, and it seems like your wife is a big influence in your work. Yeah. Uh, how would you describe that working relationship? Uh, she just lets me have, you know, gives me space to do things. And, and when, you know, sometimes I, I take too much space or, you know, she just gives me support and just like, uh, believes in what I'm doing so gives me the, the basically the space and the time to go and pursue that you know? no it is, we're it still is, talking That's it great. is very important though huh? it is very important though yes yes yeah. uh, I mean it's funny because when people think of photography or art they think it's like it can be a very solitary focused you know thing but I think it's, de it's definitely important to have support a support system behind it Oh, for you know, sure. At least for me, I think that's very essential. If if you have a partner or you yeah. you are, or even friends in some way. Like for my work, I I for the most part, oh shit, it's shit. But I bring it with my friend Scott, and Scott's like, dude, calm down, it's okay. Yeah, it's like, you need that kind of. I do at least. And that's kind of the print exchange, and we were talking about friends too, and the the, the print exchange and the people in there are very supportive of each other, and so it's really cool. But but what what can people expect the exhibit going on at Arnold Dominic uh, the the exhibit there is basically a uh, it's an international um, exchange of photography through the mail. So it's totally interactive. Uh, there's there's probably about maybe five or six hundred photographs on the wall, four by six photographs or bigger, and they're all hung on strings. And you can turn them over and see where they're from. You can check out the stamp. You can see the little note or drawing on the back or whatever it is. So. It's totally interactive, and really, what I would like people to come away with is that that uh, like like records or film or anything else, um, the mail is still there, and they can still use it, and you can still send things to people. And it's it's uh, I know there's so much connection with social media and all these different things, but you can make a really make an impact if you if you send some you know send your grandma a picture or your friend or whatever. Um, it, it's just a really interesting experience. Is there a and worthwhile? Is there a particular poster stamp that you like a lot that stands out? No, no, really. You're I not picky at all. I just like stamps in general. Uh huh. So the interesting designs that kind of caught your eye or anything like that? Uh, no, I just like them all the time. Mm. I like to see different stamps. Do you have a collection of stamps? I have a, a lot of stamps because I'll make like little collages with stamps or I'll use them on, on postcards and different things and I don't collect them but sometimes I'll buy like packets of vintage stamps or different things just to kind of add to what I'm doing. Are you loyal to a camera brand? Uh, I mean I always shot with Nikon stuff. Nikon. But I also have a lot of different other cameras so. Uh, I use a Pentax Honeywell. I have like a Olympus half frame camera. I have like I have a, a lot of cameras. Yeah, uh, but so I'm, far, I'm a little bit I'm, I'm, I'm on the Canon camp so far. Yeah, but but Nikon, I heard 
great stuff comes out of that. Now, how do you feel about the the new mirrorless cameras? Do you have a? I have one of those as well. A fan of those? Because that can be polarizing. No. No. I don't really care. See, I like it because really it, it doesn't matter necessarily what brush you're dealing with. In this case, what camera? Yeah. For you, it's all about the content that you're shooting. Yeah, but there, there definitely you find cameras that you like, and like through shooting for so long, like I definitely fa have found cameras that I like, and I stick with those cameras. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I don't like or that I don't don't seem to mesh with, I'll just get rid of them. So I definitely have a few cameras that I like and that I've used over the years and I keep going back to those cameras and I'll find new ones, I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna try this and I'll shoot a bunch of stuff and then I'll be like, ah, oh, that looks like crap. And I'll go back to that one camera again and be like, oh, I'm just gonna shoot with this one for a while. I really love the photos, so. Now, we're here at Sub-Zero. Uh, how's it going? Sorry, as my friend just passed by. We're recording a live podcast right now. Uh, but we're here at Sub-Zero. So far, you know, how has Sub-Zero Sub played a part? I, I know you're featured in this year's, but, but do you feel like this is a, a good cultivation that, that, that kind of helped you out, you know, showing your work out there? Yeah, sure. I just I, I just know what, what Sub-Zero entails and, and, and how many people are on the street because they've been doing it for a long time and I always come and check it out. And sometimes we'll have a booth, but not, not really very often. It's not our bag, really. But we'll always come and check it out. And I just was excited to do a show here at AD because I've been been coming to the gallery for so long and I've known Sherry and Brian for a long time and then just through knowing what Sub-Zero entails when when we talked about doing the show and they said I could do it during Sub-Zero it's it's almost just like having uh, a built-in crowd right so you don't have to work you know you don't have to like really pump social media and really try to get people to come because people are already here so that was kind of a cool thing for me. Yeah, that's that, that, how, how would you describe Sub-Zero in one word? Interesting. Interesting. It's a good word. Yeah. Good word. Good and interesting. Now, when it comes to having a booth here, what's some advice you would give? Because I think it's kind of hard to really co compete with the artwork when you've got photography in some way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we did it and it just wasn't, it wasn't for us. Yeah. But some, some people, it worked well in that environment, and I just didn't mesh with it. It didn't work for me, so yeah. I just didn't. We don't do it. All right, Jai Tanju, check out his work. Where can people check out your work? I know you have a blog. Yeah, filmforbeta.blogspot. If they want to get into uh, sending mail or corresponding with people, there's there's lots of great people on on, on that site, and there's uh, actually a list of uh, um, people to exchange with. Um, I actually don't have a website. They can find my me on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Jai Tanju. There you go. Uh, and uh, pleasure talking with you. Nice talking to you. Short and sweet. Yeah, I know. I know you have a show to go in there to attend to. Cool. So I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Have you been on the podcast before? No, I never have. Well, thank you for for talking with me. And thank you for doing this. And I hope to talk to you again. You know. Cool. And. Uh, and, and before you go, any advice for any young photographers who are just getting into the game? Uh, just get out there and try. If you don't try, you, you can never do it. Develop a skateboarder mentality. Yeah, just try. If you fall down, get up and try again. Well said. Jai, awesome. thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that was Jai here at Sub-Zero Festival. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, you heard all about it. Thank you, Jai. Thank you.
And there you have it. That is my conversation with William Chef and Jai Tanju at Sub-Zero Festival 2018 in downtown San Jose. Look forward for the next festival coming up. And thank you for tuning in. And now we're going back to our original programming. This has been a very much a special episode here at the JMS Podcast. And thank you very much to Sherry Lakely and the Sub-Zero Festival organization and anybody else involved and all the support. All right, that's it. I got a wedding to go to. Take care, everybody. See you on the next episode coming up real soon.